Let it be said as we start out here that this uh, mic wobbles around because Darren has an oddly shaped head. <laughs> I just wanted to say that, so if this does get podcasted, that'll be on it. And you know it's true, Darren. Uh, I brought this up here. I may or may not use it because I love technology. And so supposedly everything that I need is on these electronic gadgetry things. But this is old school. For those of you under the age of 40, this is called paper. And there's, there's print in here. Uh, yes, you can read that. And uh, it is highly functional. My name is David Holderman. And uh, as you can see up there, and I began pastoring. It's so funny. It's like the, the crowd, common bond among people. Uh, Darren and I, uh, Laura and I, my wife and I, and uh, let me show you her in case you haven't seen her around. Uh, this is Laura. And uh, she and I have been attending here for about seven months now. And uh, we really kind of stumbled upon uh, Conduit through a relationship with Jeremy and uh, our residency down here in Spring Hill. And so we started coming here back in uh, late December, early January, and have been here ever since, and truly love and appreciate the genuineness and the transparency of the leadership here. And just like Darren and Jeremy, uh, I too never ever wanted to be a pastor. Uh, it, was, it, it just wasn't me. And uh, uh, I'll tell you more about that story uh, as we get into the message this morning. But it wasn't something that I wanted to do. Even when I went to Bible college, when I was going to come out of there, it's like, well, I could be a traveling speaker or I could do something else. I don't want to be a pastor. And uh, ended up uh, pastoring a church in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, which is significant uh, with what I'm going to go to next. Uh, in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, uh, where my wife grew up, the congregation that she was a part of is where we went. And uh, the greatest thing or the most impressive thing that I was successful at in ministry was failure. I thrived. I, 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 uh, could, I, I could fail all sorts of ways and, uh, uh, and was, was quite adept at it. So it was one of those things if you, uh, if you, you know, try to fail and succeed, which have you done? That was my life as a pastor. And so we spent 18 years in the Upper Peninsula and uh, then in 2007, uh, we moved down here and uh, came to work with Dave Ramsey. And as Jeremy shared, I work in the church division there and am part of the Momentum program, which helps churches uh, across the nation as churches to do ministry debt-free. And, uh, and to live the very same principles that, that are wise for us as individuals, uh, those very same principles are wise for a church as well. And so this is my wife, Laura, and uh, she is on the, the Haiti trip, and she sent me this text uh, last night say, uh, saying that they had arrived and, and were well, and I asked her what her first impressions of Haiti were, and she said, hot and beautiful. And... Uh, uh, she is so looking forward. This, I'm excited for her because this is her very first ever international mission trip. And uh, uh, I'm going with David Christopher uh, August 3rd through the 10th, and that'll be my second 
uh, I went to Honduras uh, 20 years ago now. And uh, uh, we're just simply looking forward to being a part of Conduit and jumping in here. Uh, I am still amazed uh, that uh, Darren, uh, in his uh, infinite wisdom, has trusted me to do this with you this morning. Uh, somebody, I was talking with somebody and they were at another church and they said, yeah, we're going through, uh, we've only been there uh, two months and we're going through the, uh, the uh, Get Connected class and the, the Discovery class for the church. And I went, yeah. I said, we've been here seven months and haven't gone through a Discovery class and I'm preaching. So uh, <laughs> I, it truly is all about uh, the heart of this place. This is a picture of our family. Uh, a couple of pictures of our family. Uh, we have three children, uh, two daughters and a son. And uh, from July of last year to May of this year, in that 10-month period, uh, all three of them uh, got married. So uh, we, yeah, and I'll just point it out. My daughter and uh, son-in-law who live here in Spring Hill uh, came here to comfort me when we're done. So, um, so. Uh, it has been a tremendous and wonderful journey, and I'm excited to be a part uh, of this group and to be a part of this ministry and to serve with you and to serve as, as Darren has said and, and uh, Jeremy and Cortland have also said, uh, we gather here as conduits. We are here to be people who simply allow the love of Christ to flow through us from a place of abundance to a place of need. And so uh, that's an exciting thing to be a part of, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Um, as I said earlier, uh, my success in ministry is, is failure in ministry. Uh, and so before we begin the actual sermon portion of today, uh, there's a pledge that you as, uh, as listeners have to take, okay? So uh, with me, okay, aloud, here we go. I, yeah, 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 there's one in every crowd, isn't there? Okay, here we go. Do wholeheartedly promise to return to Conduit Church and see Darren next week, regardless of the incalculable damage David may inflict upon me today. Okay? You've all made the pledge. There is no way out. What we're going to talk about this morning is something that was both a revelation to me and bugged me for years and years. I was bugged by the fact and bothered by the fact that this God of all creation, this God of the universe, this God who loves and cares for each of us individually in immeasurable ways and in extraordinary ways, seemed to have a body of believers and, and a following among Christianity and people in, in, in throughout the nation that were following him, but there was this pressure attached to it. And I could never figure out why it was, there was that there was this seeming pressure in Christianity, in being a Christian. 
And so this morning, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that is probably known by everybody here. And whether you are a Christ follower or not, or you're just you know, checking in the church to see what's going on here, it doesn't matter. Nearly everybody is familiar with this passage and, and the intent that is communicated in this passage. When you think about going, it's something that's natural. You can't look at pictures like this and go, oh, yeah, it's, it's going. Going. It's obvious. We were made for going. Many of you, I don't know how many of you have, you know, serve and, and uh, uh, sing in the music industry. You may have spent a lifetime already on one of these, going from place to place. We have a team in Haiti. This has become a very common, natural way of going all over the place. Walking. If you happen to like I-65 in the afternoon in Brentwood, that's not so much going, but it's supposed to be going. The environment was created for going. We choose to sit and look at each other instead. (laughs) Yes, that's the obvious one, right? Going is natural, okay? So that's what we want to look at. And so what I want to do is, first of all, look with you at a definition of a word because the heartbeat of this word is going to walk with us throughout this message. And I actually need a a volunteer or two here because we have gifts for all of you. Oh, well, looky there. This lovely young lady will help me right out. Everybody gets one. Nobody gets two. So as she is handing those out, as they're passing down the rows, let's look at a word. Conduit. What is a conduit? And if you haven't seen it yet, what's coming around to you is just that. This is a pipe, a chunk of PVC. It's a conduit. It's not made to simply contain something. It is made and designed to transfer something, to move something from one location to another. That's all it does. In order for a conduit to function properly, all it has to do is be. It just has to be there. It has to be available for use, and it has to be willing to let things flow through it. And so as conduits, as individuals who represent conduits in this ministry, we have one objective, and that is to be a source, to be a conduit, to be a vehicle through which abundance can flow to need. And it doesn't have to simply be financial. It can be uh, emotional abundance that transfers to emotional need. It can be an abundance of talent that transfers to an environment of need. And so as a conduit, we are a people who 
simply transfer the love of Christ to the places where it is most needed with no regard for ourselves and no regard for our ability to hold on to it. You know, you could take this pipe, you could take any of these, and you could put maybe a piece of duct tape on the bottom of it, or you could put uh, a rubber cork in the end of it, and you'd no longer have a conduit. What you'd have would be a cup. You would have something that you could put something in, and it would contain it. It would hold it. God did not call you and me to be cups. He called us to be conduits. And that is represented in this passage of Scripture. Matthew chapter 28, if you have your Bibles with you. We're going to look here, we're going to spend most of our time this morning uh, in this passage. But we're going to look at this passage, give it a, a, a reasonable overview. And then we're going to look at three examples in Scripture. The wonderful thing about the Bible is, is that the Bible always... Uh, uh, the Bible always illustrates itself. You can go to one passage of Scripture in the Bible and read about a story or read about a principle, and you will find many, many other illustrations or other stories or other accounts of events that take place in Scripture that reinforce what you just read. And so the Bible tells us in Matthew 28, verses 16 and 17... But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. Now let's just stop there for a moment and, and park on that for a minute. They were his disciples. Scripture says his followers went to the place, Jesus said, here's, the, here's where I want to meet you, here's where I want you to go. This is post-resurrection. Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus has conquered death and hell and sin, and he is now going to meet with the eleven. And so he designates for them, he says, I want you to go and I'll meet you there. So they go to that place. But I find it interesting in the passage that they go there, and yet it makes it, 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 makes it significant or it, it highlights it, the fact that some of them were still doubtful. These guys followed Jesus for three and a half years. They ate with him. They hung out with him. They walked with him. They talked with him for three and a half years. They saw him crucified. And then on the day of his resurrection, the women go to the tomb and they're told by an angel, he's not here, he's risen. Go and tell the disciples. And so the women run to tell the disciples. So, so here we have three and a half years of following this guy that by all indications is the son of God. We've seen him calm storms. We've seen him heal paralytics. We've seen him... Uh, uh, remove demons from people and yet some of them still doubted I point that out to say this there's nothing wrong and there is nothing unhealthy about having some doubts having some doubts about 
who Jesus Christ is, about what God is doing in your life, and about the impact that your life may or may not, in your perception, be having on the world around you. Verses 18 through 20. Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority, how much authority? All. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That is a statement that both begins with Jesus and ends with Jesus. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. There is no created existence that does not reside under the authority of Jesus Christ. So all authority has been given to him. In light of that, now if we think about it for a moment, track with me, just think about that. We live in a world, you live in a, you live in a household, and you are employed in workplaces where this is true. Everybody who has authority is under authority. Everyone who has authority is under authority. And that truth became more evident than ever as our kids were going through college. Because uh, the, the colleges that our kids had been involved in were tremendous schools academically, but administratively there always seemed to be a challenge. There was always roadblocks. There was always, well, that can't be done, or that, that, won't, that won't transfer here, and, and all of these things going on. And the, the thing that we found was, and that it was, I was always telling our oldest daughter especially, she's like, Daddy, I can't do this. I don't know what they're saying. And I said, look, everybody who has authority is under authority. So you find the authority that the person you spoke with that said no is under and talk to them. And if you don't get a good answer then, you find the person who is under the, and you just work your way up the food chain, so to speak. But all authority, there is no one, no thing higher than the authority of Jesus Christ on this planet, period. So the, the, the authority that Jesus lays out is absolute. And so now that he has all the authority, what does he say to the disciples? Go therefore and make disciples. Now, here's why I always had the rub. Even in the early pastoral years of my existence, in my early years of walking with Christ, I didn't come to Christ until I was 20 years old. So I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't grow up with good habits or bad habits created by a church. But at 20 years of age, I accepted Christ. And, and, and for me, it was just simply this, surrender. I, I just surrender. The whole message of Jesus made logical sense to me which may give you indication of my warped sense of logic sometimes, but it made logical sense. And I could take that and went, you know what? If it's about surrender, because you know, Jesus is not looking to negotiate a truth, a, a truce with any of us. He is looking for absolute surrender. 
Why? Because all authority has been given to him. Aside from absolute surrender, there is absolutely no authority that you can appeal to that is above the authority of Christ. So he tells the disciples, go therefore and make disciples, and that always bugged me. Quite frankly, when I first came to Christ, it scared me. It scared me. I looked at that passage and said, go therefore, and it's, you know, whenever you see therefore in scripture, you always gotta ask what's, what's the therefore therefore? It's because he's got all the authority. There's no one to appeal to. You can't look to Jesus and say, I'm going to have to go around you because I really don't want to do that whole disciple-making thing. Um, Who do I go to that's above you? Nobody. There's nowhere else to go. Nowhere. And so Jesus tells his disciples, he's, says, go therefore and make disciples. Here's what I learned that brought a real sense of freedom to my life and to my walk with Christ that I didn't have prior to it. When you look at the passage in English as we see it, and you see that go, it just, it sounds like the force of the message is in that, that we need to be going But the force of the message is found in the command in the message. And in the Greek, the command in that sentence is not go. Jesus is not saying, go, get moving, you've got to make this happen. What he's saying is, as you are going, as you are going, going is natural. You are going to be going. Have you ever stopped for a moment and just thought, I mean, just in contemplation almost, got, gone to a quiet place, sat down, and just sat still in silence for a moment and asked yourself this question, where am I going? Where am I going? It seems like this routine has just become that. It's just empty routine and on and on and on. And now here I am. I remember getting to 35 years of age. I turn 50 next week. And uh, I guess it's this week, technically. I remember turning 35 years of age, having been in pastoral ministry for nine years, walking across the, the yard that separated the parsonage where we lived at the time from the church building in snow this deep, in the dead of winter, in the darkness of night, walking across there, and it was like an epiphany. David, you're never gonna be a millionaire. (laughs) It was like, what's that all about? But prior to that, even, even though I was in jobs and career pursuits that you would never equate to millionaire status, it was suddenly this epiphany that goes, oh, that's a reality in my future. 
It's not only a reality now, it's a reality in my future. And I need to learn to be content with that. And so Jesus says, I've got all authority, and he doesn't say go in a command. The command of this passage is in make disciples. Make disciples. And so, the disciples there, running through their heads, had to be the same questions that run through ours. Okay, how? How? And we're going to look at that. But I want to quickly take you through three examples or three stories in Scripture in the Gospels that are going to help build the case for what we're going to. Because we're headed to something that I think when, when we get to it and when we open it up, your spirit and mine have the capacity to open up and go, oh, relief. Well, that's not as much pressure as I thought it was. That's no pressure at all. Because what we have in the Gospels is not only Jesus giving this command and giving this instruction to his disciples, we have those three and a half years that they spent with him. And oddly enough, Jesus was living it out. As they were going, as they were going, as they walked through the countryside, as they made their way from city to city, what were they doing? They were op- Jesus was opening up the gospel. He was sharing the good news. He was seeking that which was lost. He was trying and, and, and try- <laughs> trying and trying to infuse in these, this small band of men a heart's desire to continue doing what he had shown them to do. And that was making disciples. So let's go to Mark chapter 1, verses 44 and 45. In Mark chapter 1, a man with leprosy, and this is the deeply abbreviated version, but... You can read this account in Scripture. In fact, I would encourage you to read Scripture. Um, And you may be sitting here and going, "Mm, yeah, I, I like the Bible, and I look at it on the weekends, but it scares me. Or you might be sitting here and going, I would love to read Scripture, but I really don't know that I believe it. But that's okay. You read lots of things you don't believe. You read newspapers, you read, well, maybe not the paper form. You read magazines, periodicals, blogs. You don't believe everything you read. And you know what? If you, if you don't believe everything you see in the Bible, that's okay. Some of them doubted too. And Jesus still worked with them. And he is still willing to work with you and me. And so in Mark chapter 1, this man with leprosy comes to Jesus. And he says to him, falls down on his knees, and he says, I, I know if you're willing, I can be healed. And Jesus turns to him, and he says, what you've said is true, and I'm willing. Be cleansed. And then, the man is healed completely, the Bible says. 
In fact, Mark says immediately, which is his favorite word in all of Mark's gospel. He was the quick guy. Everything happened quickly, suddenly, immediately. So this guy is healed completely, totally, immediately. And Jesus says this, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. You just know that weeks after that, the disciples were sitting at a campfire with Jesus and going, yeah, you know the guy with leprosy? Did you give it back to him? Because he did not do what you told him to do. Jesus said, shh, don't tell anybody. And this guy ran out proclaiming and showing and demonstrating something had happened to him. Something changed his life and he could not stop talking about it. And he had to tell everybody. Story number two. John chapter four. Again, a very familiar passage where Jesus and the disciples are on their way. Why? Because going is natural. They were going. And they were going from Judea down to Galilee and they had to tra uh, traipse through Samaria. And the Bible said he left Judea, he went away again into Galilee and he had to pass through Samaria. So they came to the city of Samaria called Sychar near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So it's about noon. And Jesus and the disciples make their way up. He sits down at the well, sun beating down on him. The disciples say, hey, we're going to go into town. We're going to get some food. We'll be back. A woman from Samaria comes up carrying her water pots to get, collect water. And we've all heard the story and we've heard sermons on the story of how she came up and she probably had to come out at noontime because she was really a, an ostracized woman from the community and so forth. And so she sits down and she has this conversation with Jesus. And Jesus just like unravels her. He just opens her up in ways that she couldn't conceive. You know, she's like, go get your husband. I don't have a husband. Ah, oh, what you said, you're right. You've had five. And the one you're with now is not your husband. And all of a sudden, whoa, this guy knows more about me than I would ever want anyone to know about me. And Jesus says, give me a drink. And she's like, uh, you know, and they have this long discourse and conversation about drinking from the well and so forth. And Jesus tells her, he says, 
if you drink from this well, you will be thirsty again. But the water that I have, the water I have, if I give it to you, you will thirst no more. And she gets all excited. She's like, Jesus, I, I, I want this. I want this water. I do not want to have to make this trip every day at noon again. I want this trip to have to stop. So please give me this water you speak of. And scripture doesn't say it. But I think she got it. Because verse 28 through 30 says, so the woman left her water pot. The thing she came there with to contain what she needed for life, she left. I don't need that anymore. I don't need another cup. Because, and the, and the word that Jesus says when he says, I will give you water and those who drink from it within them will well up a fountain. If you remember the definition we looked at of a conduit, the archaic definition, the fourth one down in that, in that list, was fountain. It was something that flows like an artesian well. It was something that just kept flowing and flowing and bubbling. And you know that she, was, she had this fountain within her now because what does she do? She goes back and she says, come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? And they went out of the city and were coming to him. And then verses 39 through 42, from that city many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. So it was because of her words, it was because of what happened in her life that she was able to run back, share that message with them, share with them how Christ had impacted her and motivate and inspire them to curiosity at least to come out and to see Jesus. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him, to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word, and they were saying to the woman, it's, it's no longer because of you that we believe, because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. So we've come to the conclusion ourselves. Now how did all of that happen? In both of those instances, Jesus and the disciples were just going. They were doing the natural thing. They were walking from town to town. And God opened up for them opportunities to be able to share in a way that connected or intersected God's story and God's life with theirs, with another individual. Last one, Acts chapter 4. And this is one of my favorites because this is the account where, where Peter and John 
heal the guy, that, the, the lame guy that had been sitting uh, outside the temple, and they're making their way into the temple, and the guy says, you know, uh, heal me, and they're like, you know, silver and gold, or well, he was begging for alms, and they said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I'll give to you. Take your pallet and walk. And the guy goes running and leaping and, 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 and praising God. There's a kid's chorus to that. And he's just, he is tremendously excited, and he is well and healthy and walking. Well, the religious leaders get word of this, and they try to stamp it out. And they say to Peter and John, you can't do that anymore. And so, in Acts 4, when they had summoned them, they commanded them to not speak or teach at, at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than God, you be the judge. For we, and listen, listen close, we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. The wonderful thing, the most extraordinary thing about Christianity is that Christianity is not something, it's not some philosophy. It's not based on somebody's thoughts or insights or deep conjectures. It's based on a fact in history. Something happened. And when it happened, it changed all of time and history. And it opens the opportunity for our lives to be changed, to be eternally altered because something happened. So, what does that have to do with the Great Commission? What does that have to do with being a conduit? What does that have to do with you and me? Well, it's simply this. Go is not a command. Jesus knows, God knows, you know. Going is something that you do every day. But making disciples, and Jesus tells us how, he says, by baptizing and by teaching. Go and make disciples of all the nations the nations of the United States, the nations of Haiti, the nation of Kenya, the nation of Nicaragua, the nations. Go and make disciples of all the nations. As you are going, or as you are prone to go, make disciples. Now even that can be a little bit scary. Let me remove the fear. Because it's really easy. It's very easy, and it's simple. Two words that I want you to remember. Okay? Just two words. Attentive, available. Attentive and available. It's those two words that, that in order for you to live life as a disciple, as a learner, as a follower of Jesus Christ, in order for you as an individual to make disciples, and, and let's be honest, okay? All of you are disciple makers already. Especially if, if you're a parent, or if you had one. You're a disciple maker. The question is, who are you making a disciple for? 
Do you want your children to be just like you? Or do you want them to be just like Christ? Do you want them to bear the, the, the scars and the burdens and the, and the hurts and the pains and the heartache that you bear from your life's history? Or do you want them to know the freedom and the joy of a heart reconciled to God through Jesus Christ? You're making disciples. The question is, who are they for? And so, attentive and available. Baptize, think about this, stick with me. Baptize and teach. Before you ever got baptized, before you were ever baptized, you had to pay attention to the Holy Spirit. Because if the Holy Spirit isn't, if the Holy Spirit doesn't lead us into the identification process of, of identifying our lives with Jesus Christ, then we're just getting wet. We can take lots of baths. Every bath is not a baptism. The baptism occurs when the Holy Spirit is present and there. So asking you or asking us to be attentive to the Holy Spirit's guidance in our lives is nothing new to any of us. If you are a Christ follower, you've already paid attention to the Holy Spirit and available. And, I, and, and, and availability and teaching. And I want to share with you a, a, a quick story and we're going to be done. Yesterday, my morning was planned out by my wife because everybody who has authority is under authority. <laughs> and I, I, she's directing a, a, a play at uh, Old School Theater, uh, theater here in Spring Hill, <laughs> Theater. Um, and, uh, and so they had a rehearsal Saturday morning. She goes, I need you to be at that. Um, the assistant director will be there and she'll be running the show, but she may need you. So I went there. And uh, uh, after the initial startup of stuff, I looked at her and she hadn't given me any assignment for anything. And I said, do you need me? And she goes, no, really, I don't. And I said, well, I got things I can do if you don't need me. And she goes, okay. Because in true preacher format, you know, some preachers like to have their sermons done by Wednesday. Some like to have them done by Thursday. Um, I like to have them done at least by the time Jeremy's done introducing me. So uh, there it was. And I thought, well, I can, I can go and do that. And uh, so I went to Starbucks, as I am prone to do and uh, uh, got an icy cold beverage and was walking out of Starbucks and I got a text message from a friend. And uh, standing there holding my cup and I read my text, it says, hey, when could you get together for coffee? <laughs> um, okay. And I looked at his text and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and, and let me say it this way, you know the way in which God speaks to you that isn't creepy? That's the way in which he spoke to me. And uh, 
And the Holy Spirit said, so, you gonna go home and write a sermon about availability? (laughs) Or are you gonna be available? I love God's sense of humor. I text him back. I'll be there in 20 minutes. And we met for about an hour. And we didn't solve all of life's issues. We didn't solve the struggle. We didn't overcome any formidable obstacle that he was facing. But what we did is we took the challenges and the struggles that he was going through and we filtered them through the authority of Jesus Christ and directed them to the throne of God. And in essence said, okay God, you've got to work. You've got to open doors and you've got to close doors as you are prone to do and God will do that. So what's it all mean? What, what, so what? Here's the so what. The late Christian song artist, Rich Mullins, penned these words in his song, If I Stand. The stuff of earth competes for the allegiance I owe only to the giver of all good things. There is a competition going on in your life. The stuff of earth is competing for the allegiance that you owe to no other authority except that of Jesus Christ. That is the only authority you owe to. And so, as you are going, pay attention to the Holy Spirit. You're a conduit. You've got that little piece of of Don't go home and turn it into a cup. Let it be a pipe. Let it be a conduit. May you be a conduit through which the love of God flows from abundance to need. Because the needs are out there. And anybody, anybody, anybody sitting in this room, all of us, We can be that conduit to the attentive and available. Making disciples is natural. To the attentive and available, making disciples is natural. It's as easy as texting, I'll be there in 20 minutes. It's as easy as hearing the Holy Spirit say, you know what? Go talk to this person. 
imagine, if you will, just, just imagine for a moment, what can tomorrow look like if you take away the pressure of performance in your walk with Christ? What would tomorrow look like if you took away the pressure of performance in your walk with Christ and simply tomorrow as you are going you pay attention you listen for his spirit and you be available available to flow the love of Christ from the abundance you possess into the need of someone else's life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for your abundance. Thank you for, um, <laughs> thank you for letting the reality of following Jesus Christ be something that um, isn't complicated. It's not complex. It's pretty simple. And the things you've asked us to do to make disciples isn't something we orchestrate in a door-to-door -door action. It's not something where we have to get a bunch of people together. It's texting a yes to a friend in need. It's teaching our children the value of Christ's authority in our life so that they can live the reality of Christ's authority in theirs. God, thank you so much for this gathering in this body of believers. We are grateful, God, that making disciples is something that you're continually doing. It isn't up to us. It's your spirit. And so, Father, I pray that each of us awaken tomorrow morning with the relief of knowing that it's not a performance thing to follow Jesus Christ. It's about being. Being attentive and being available. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.